As you're being seated, if you'll find your Bible, open it up, turn it on to Luke chapter 8. We are at the time of year where we begin setting goals for ourselves. What's going to happen in 2017? And so some of us have set, fit, have set some fitness goals for ourselves. Want to be able to run a 5K. You want to get your muscles in shape. You want to lose some extra weight that perhaps you put on during the holiday season. Some of us have eating goals that we set for ourselves. We want to quit eating food that comes out of a cardboard box or a bag or a window. So imagine how much healthier you eat if you just quit eating foods that come out of windows, cardboard, or bags. Uh, and so uh, some of us have financial goals. We say to ourselves, I want to spend less. I want to save more. I want to give more. I want to be able to give more and be more generous with my finances. And so we tend to set a lot of goals and reboot ourselves here in January. So let me ask a church question. What are your spiritual goals for 2017? What are your spiritual goals? Now, asking that question, I understand, opens up a big list of sub-questions. For example, how do you grow spiritually? How do you grow as a spiritual person? Is there an essential oil for it? You know, uh, you, you, you meet your oil supplier out in the back in the alley, and they sell you some oil. Make sure you don't get it at Sprouts because it's not the same stuff. And, you know, you put a little bit of uh, essential oil on you, and then you start growing spiritually. Maybe there's a YouTube video about it. You Google it, you watch this video, and suddenly you just start growing spiritually. Maybe uh, there's a conference you can go to, and if you go to this conference, then you are guaranteed to grow spiritually, or if you read this book or call the number on this infomercial, you are guaranteed to grow spiritually. How do you grow in your spiritual side? And then how do you measure spiritual growth? We're used to measuring stuff, so how do you measure spiritual growth. I'm going to lose 10 pounds of sin by summer. Uh, I'm going to try to uh, be 10% more spiritually minded by fall. It's very difficult to try to measure something that by nature is spiritual rather than physical. Yet at the same time, uh, we know that progress is possible. We, we desire to grow spiritual spiritually. And sometimes within Christianity, we've, we've tried to measure it. Back in the day, uh, your offering envelope that, that you give your offering to the church used to have a bunch of check boxes on it. And so when you come to church, you'd, you'd say, okay, uh, am I here? Yeah. Check that box. Do I have my Bible? And yeah, you check that box. And uh, am I at life group? You check that box. Do I have my offering? Yes. Uh, did I have a quiet time this week? You check that box. And the idea was this, that if everybody would do these things, then we would all be growing spiritually. Now, don't hear me wrongly. Doing Christian things is, is a good thing. I, I want you to be reading your Bible every day. I want you to be here. I want you to be in life group. I want you to be faithful in giving uh, of your tithes and offerings. Doing these church things are, are good things, but here's the danger. It's possible to do Christian stuff without being Christian. It's possible to be a part of the community and to enjoy the community without being into the Savior. 
And so one of the dangers that we began to see whenever we measure Christianity so tightly and use our almost academic system towards measuring spiritual growth is that frequently we had the behaviors of Christianity without the heart of Christ. So in 2017, I believe this. I I believe that God desires for you. I believe he desires for me. And I believe that he desires for us to grow spiritually. I also believe that that can happen. I think for that to happen, we need to open up our hearts towards the things of God. Our heart has to become uncluttered and focused and open towards spiritual things. I also think it requires us learning to listen, learning to listen to God's direction in your life, learning to listen to what God has said in his word, learning to listen to the Holy Spirit's leadership in our lives. Because whenever you listen to God, ultimately it will change your attitude, it'll change your action, your perspective. When you're listening to God, it will change the way that you live your life because you'll grow spiritually. But spiritual growth is different. Spiritual growth ultimately has to be the work of God within you that changes who you are from the inside out. And whenever God begins changing the person that is you, He begins changing what you do. Spiritual growth always takes root. It always begins in the heart. That's why I don't begin with, you need to behave better. You need to straighten up your act and change yourself. I begin with, God desires to do a work within you. And then that work will grow outward into your life. So let's look at Luke chapter 8. We've been working through Jesus' life through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Here in Luke chapter 8, we're calling this section, Listen Up, because over and over again in this section, Jesus says, if you have ears, you need to listen to this, okay? And so he gives us the parable of the sower, beginning in verse 4 of chapter 8. As a large crowd was gathering, the people were flocking to him from every town, and he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he was sowing, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the sky ate it up. Other seed fell on the rock. When it sprang up, it withered, since it lacked moisture. Other seed fell among thorns. The thorns sprang up with it and choked it. Still other seed fell on good ground. When it sprang up, it produced a crop, 100 times what was sown. As he said this, he called out, Anyone who has ears to hear should listen. Now, this is what we call a parable. It's a heavenly story that has an earthly meaning. It literally means to cast alongside. And so often in Jesus' teachings, he would teach in a parable. He would give a practical story to illustrate a spiritual truth. It is even likely that as Jesus was telling this parable, the people could look out in a field and see a farmer doing exactly what Jesus was talking about. Now, I think those of us who are teachers, those of us who are parents, grandparents, desire to influence other individuals could learn a lesson here in that sometimes whenever you're trying to communicate an idea to someone, instead of just throwing out raw data and facts, sometimes using a story can really captivate the idea and, and, and illustrate it in a way that people are able to understand it. And so Jesus did that frequently within his teaching. 
So here in the parable of the story, we have the farmer and the seed. Anybody here grow up on a farm? No, we got one. All right. That's first one in two services that grew up on a farm. So most of us in the room don't really know much about farming, uh, much less ancient farming. But you would have the farmer who would go about sowing the seed in a broadcast manner. This was before the tractors and the GPS and all the technology that they have today. Within the farm, they would have paths. These paths, uh, perhaps to Think of it, think of a football field that has these various stripes along with sections of grass, but much larger. So these farms would have these paths where the farmer would walk down and he would cast the seed. He might use animals and, uh, to help with the agriculture, and, and the paths also prevented fire damage because if one section of the farm caught fire, the path was the area where they could fight the fire and hopefully stop it from taking over the entire farm. So the paths had very hardened soil. They had a use, but uh, they were part of the farming process. But then there was also area within the soil that was rocky. It was shallow. Not much was going to grow there. Our first house was in a city called Cedar Park. Uh, Cedar Park uh, is known for cedar trees. If you know much about cedar trees, they are one of the few trees that can grow in very shallow soil. There's not very many oak trees that grow in shallow soil. And whenever we went out to plant our first tree, I took my shovel and I put it down there and I went, you know, I heard dink, dink. And I realized that just below all the soil, uh, the entire ground was basically uh, limestone rock. So you couldn't grow anything deep in Cedar Park. It had shallow soil. There was also the thorny area. That was the area where there was a lot of weeds. I used to play golf, and I quit playing golf because they didn't mow the grass where I played. Everybody else got to play on this nice cut grass, but where my ball would land, there was always weeds and thorns and bushes, and so I decided it just wasn't any fun to play golf after all and quit playing. But the thorny areas is where, you know, fertile crops can't really grow because all the weeds will choke it out. And then there's the fertile area. When the seed lands in the fertile soil, it's able to flourish, it's able to grow, it's able to produce a large harvest, a large crop. Now, Jesus isn't talking about farming. Jesus is addressing the issue of why some hear the message of the gospel and grow, and others may hear the message, but they never grow spiritually. Well, his disciples began to quiz him and ask him what the parable was all about, So in verse 11, Jesus just spells it out. Look at verse 11. This is the meaning of the parable. I love it when the Lord does that. Uh, And so he tells us what it means. The seed is the word of God. The seed along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So the ones that are along the path are individuals that are, they never become Christians. They may hear the message, but Before it takes root in their heart, uh, they move on, the devil deceives them, and they don't become believers. Verse 13, and the seed on the rock are those, when they hear, they welcome the word with joy. They become believers, they may be baptized, but then notice, having no root, these believe for a while and depart, and when do they depart? In a time of testing. Verse 14, as for the seed that fell among the thorns... These are the ones who, when they have heard, go on their way and are choked with the worries, riches, 
and pleasures of life and produce no mature fruit. But the seed in the good ground, these are the ones who, having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it and by enduring bear fruit. So Jesus says the seed is the word of God. It's the message of the gospel. Whenever the gospel lands in our heart and we believe in Christ as Lord and Savior, redemption takes place within us. We are forgiven of our past. We are forgiven of our sins. We experience the grace of God, and we are redeemed in Him. And then God begins the work, theologically we call this regeneration. God begins the work of recreating us in Christ, and we ultimately become individuals who uh, are worshipers, individuals who can mature and grow as spiritual beings. Now, whenever a child fails to grow, they refer to that as a failure to thrive. And maybe spiritually, you can relate to that. You want to be a more spiritual person, but for some reason, you have a failure to thrive. You look in your life, and if you're really honest, you don't find yourself growing spiritually. When we fail to grow spiritually there is almost always a heart obstacle that is standing in the way. It might be that you have the obstacle of hard-heartedness. Jesus spoke of this in verse 12 when he talked about the paths. The seed that falls along the paths are those who hear the word, but then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they may not believe and be saved. As a preacher standing up in front of people each week, I I see this sometimes. I'll see someone, they come with their family or they come because it's a holiday, but when they come into the room, they have no intent of ever really receiving the Word into their heart. And so you can see through their body language and through their attitude that they're really not going to listen to you, and it doesn't matter what I say or what testimonies are shared or what uh, songs we sing, nothing's going to penetrate because the heart has become hardened towards Christianity and towards the things of God. And so the gospel just doesn't penetrate. Sometimes we build walls of hard-heartedness. Sometimes we build around our heart a wall of hurt. Something occurs in your life. It might be an unexpected death. It might be somebody violates you in some way. It might be disappointment within church, whatever it might be. And you build this wall of hurt around you so that nobody gets close to you. Nothing gets past that wall of hurt. Sometimes people bring to Christianity a wall of misunderstanding. Honestly, there's a lot of people out there right now that are presenting Christianity in a way that's not very healthy. And because of that, sometimes people have misconceptions about who Jesus is and what he taught and what Christianity is all about. And so they build that wall of misunderstanding around them so they don't grow spiritually and they don't receive the word of God because they try to push it away. Sometimes there's a wall of deception. We fall for the lies of evil. You know, you've really fallen for the lies of evil whenever truth becomes a lie and the lie becomes truth. Sometimes there's a wall of empiricism. You're very analytical, and so you reach a point where if something's not data-driven or if something can't be proven, then it never gets past your wall. 
And so everything that comes at you, you're like, prove it to me. I need to see it. I need to see it in data. I need, you to, I need it to be empirically observed before I can believe it. And so that works in some areas of your life, but whenever it comes to faith and love and relationships, you struggle. You almost become Sheldon Cooper-like, completely out of touch with your spiritual and being side. People may think of you as intelligent, capable at work, but spiritually, you're dry. And so I have to ask you this question today. Is your heart hardened? Jesus likened it to the paths between the fields. Nothing can grow there because the heart has become so cynical and so hard that nothing can penetrate. So sometimes we have to do a soil analysis and ask ourselves the question, why have I hardened my heart? Beyond that, you might ask yourself the question, what am I missing by having such a hard heart? Because it may be that you're missing love. You're not connecting to your spouse. You're missing your kid's childhood. You're missing out on those opportunities to really know your grandchildren. You're missing out on friendships because you've hardened your heart. You may be missing out on God You're accomplishing a lot in your career. But the Word of God never really sinks in because you got that wall. You got that hard heart. So my prayer is that God will soften your heart and that you will receive and hear the message that God is trying to communicate to you. Some of us don't grow spiritually because of the obstacle of a shallow heart. Jesus talks about this in verse 13. He says, the seed on the rock are those who, when they hear, they welcome the word with joy. So you're not adversarial towards the gospel. You welcome it with joy. But then hearing, they having no root, they believe for a while, but they depart during a time of testing. Richard Foster, in his book Celebration of Discipline, has talked about how superficiality is the curse of this age. While I was on vacation, I did a little bit of people-watching. And I observed how people seem really caught up in trying to make sure that they cultivate uh, and nurture images of ourselves. For example, you'll see um, a progressive sensitive guy, and, and he always has to have glasses so that he looks intellectual. You have to have a hot drink in your hand. You can't be a progressive sensitive guy if you don't have a... You, know, you never drink out of a water bottle because that increases your carbon footprint. So uh, it's got to be out of a mug and it's got to be a hot drink. And you're really more progressive and more sensitive if you have one of those little bobber things, you know. And, uh, and progressive sensitive guy always has to wear uncomfortable pants. I don't really understand it, but somehow they always have uncomfortable pants on. And then uh, you have conservative tough guy. Conservative tough guy has an off-road truck even though he never takes it off pavement. He has a big beard, even though he never goes out into the woods where he actually needs it. And he usually has two or three guns on him at any given time, even though he's, he's never shot them outside of a gun range, if he's shot them. 
And, uh, and then there's kind of Christian guy. And, and Christian guy, he's really confused. He's trying to cultivate this image where he's able to relate to all people. And so what he winds up doing is he mixes all the images. He has the beard while he drinks the hot cup of coffee. And he always has to have a good tar on his hand uh, while he's listening to hymns. And, and he, he tries to do conceal carry while he has skinny jeans on. And so none of it really seems to work for, for that guy. But, but they're trying to cultivate these certain images so that we fit into certain groups. And all of us do it. I mean, I do it, you do it. Uh, whether you're a man, whether you're a woman, whether you're a teenager, we all have these certain tribes that we identify with and, and we want to be associated associated with them because we like what they stand for. But if you really start looking at our behavior, a lot of us spend endless hours cultivating an image, promoting that image, and, and that image really isn't who we are. It's just an illustration of who we want to be. Now, frequently, we are afraid of people knowing who we really are. Because we don't like who we really are. And so we try to create this image. And nobody really gets close to us to see who we really are. You will never enjoy who you are until you understand whose you are. Until you realize that joy will not be found through stuff. Your identity is not found in anything you wear. Your identity is not found in the things that you own. We live in Collin County, Texas. Do you realize that Collin County, Texas is one of the most affluent places on earth? We have tons of stuff. And one of the things that I realize more and more is the more things that we have, the more bored we seem to be. And many of us are just unbelievably restless. And sometimes whenever we come to church and we begin walking with the Lord, here's what, here's what we think. We think that our faith in God will ultimately be a vehicle to get us more stuff. And so the, so the faith in God becomes lacking because that's not what it's all about. The faith in God is not uh, about just having a superficial existence that never goes anywhere deep. Faith in God isn't a ticket to get more stuff. It recreates who you are. And so Jesus says, if your faith is built on superficial things, then your faith will not have the root system that it needs to withstand adversity. In fact, whenever the unexpected death occurs, when the layoff happens, whenever the disappointment occurs, whenever the person at church behaves in a way that they shouldn't, rather than having an enduring faith, it's at that point that your faith will begin to fade and you'll move on to the next thing to try to create the image of stuff that you're thinking you desire. Jesus, though, offers us a new identity in him. He calls us to faith, hope, and love. Now, the faith that Jesus calls us to is to trust in him rather than ourselves. If you really break down sin, it's all rooted in selfishness and pride. So faith calls us to get beyond our selfishness and pride and trust in Him. I mean, there are so many things in life that I can't control. I don't understand. They're bigger than me. If everything in life has to be proven to me or observed, I'm in trouble. 
because there's so much that I'm just incapable to do anything about. I have to live in the faith world to really have depth. And Jesus calls us to trust not in ourselves, but to trust in his sovereign strength and knowledge to be people of faith. He also calls us to hope. Now, a lot of the things that are peddled as hope today is really just wishful thinking or we hope that tomorrow's better than today. But the hope that Christ calls us to is a hope that goes beyond life, a hope that ultimately is connected to all eternity, a hope that lasts beyond you and goes beyond you. I am really tired of people dying. Miss Esther was a dear lady to me. She was 93 years old. She died last Sunday. One of the most godly women I've ever met. I went to her funeral on Thursday. And I miss her. This little girl dying in our community yesterday. I, I don't understand that. I can't imagine the pain that her mom and dad and those that love her are dealing with today because I, I just can't imagine it. I wouldn't want it to happen to my children. No, you wouldn't either. But the hope that Christ calls us to is not just a temporary earthly hope. If that's all you have, it's going to fade. You have to have eternal hope that's grounded in something that goes beyond the hundred-year window that you have to live. And then we have a love. You see, what love does is it frees you to connect with what's real, to connect relationally to love God, to love your one another's, and to love others as well. And so my prayer for you is that you will grow beyond the superficial and you'll experience the joy of a deep, enduring faith that takes you through the ups and downs of life and carries you into eternity. There's also the obstacle of the divided heart that Jesus speaks of. In verse 14, he says that some seed falls among the thorns, and these are the ones who, when they have heard, go on their way and were choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life, and they ultimately produce no fruit. I read a lot. Uh, The last couple of years, I've really been trying to read what's happening sociologically within our country because I think we all know that a lot's changing. And so I also read a lot within the Christian community and what Christians are, are talking about. And right now, in American Christianity, there's a lot of hand-wringing. Because one of the trends that's happening in church throughout our nation is that churches are declining in attendance. In fact, they're declining at a rather rapid rate. And there's a lot of churches in our country that are closing their doors. They're no longer able to sustain themselves. In fact, within our own county, every year, several churches will close their doors. And we're a rapidly growing county. So there's a lot of hand-wringing where Christians are saying, well, what are we doing wrong? What do we need to change? Maybe we need to uh, do church this way instead of that way and, and modifications and stuff like that. And a lot of times, the churches aren't doing anything wrong. I mean, the churches are doing ministry, evangelism, discipleship, worship, fellowship. They're doing crazy things like praying and uh, trying to send missionaries and help their community. They're doing the things that Christ called the church to do. And if he were to return, they would be being found faithful as God's people. Often the church isn't doing anything wrong. It's just that people today, more than ever, their lives are filled with things. And because our lives are filled with so much to do, so many people to connect with, frequently there's no room in our life for spiritual things. And it begins 
going lower and lower and lower on our priority list. And it's funny how as your spiritual life goes lower on your priority list, that dryness in your soul, that boredom, just seems to increase. We as Americans are so blessed. Uh, we, don't, we don't ask, will we eat? We ask, what will we eat? We have cars with air conditioners. We have rooms in our house that are like extra bedrooms that people only sleep in once a year. We have extra living areas. We have bathrooms with sinks for everybody. It's a wonderful thing. And then we're the, we're the first generation of adults to raise our kids or to go through adulthood with this massive awareness that comes from internet, cell phone, mobility, connectivity, so that we know, we know news instantly. Remember your grandparents used to watch it at 10 o'clock or 6 o'clock? Now you know it. Uh, and, and we're connected to 1,000 people all the time. And so there's always more to do. There's always more to know. If you don't know something, you Google it and you learn it. There's more people to talk with. Because of that, there's more expectations upon you. It used to be whenever a mom wanted to go buy a car seat for a kid, she went to Walmart and there were three choices, A, B, or C. Now it requires 20 hours of research and a thousand different opinions before you can get the right car seat. And if you get the wrong one, <gasps> I'm going to hurt my child. Now, I'm not saying that we throw away our cell phones and unplug the internet. That's not going anywhere. It's going to be around for the rest of our life. We're living with it, okay? But I am saying that sometimes those blessings, sometimes good things, can become an obstacle. Our life can become so full of stuff that we don't really have time or place for those things which are really important. Over this last month, uh, Stacy and I looked at our house a few weeks ago and we were like, man, this place has just exploded with stuff. Anybody ever had your house explode with stuff? Now, we got four kids living there now and a dog, and it's like everywhere they go, every restaurant gives them a free gift, or uh, every, every class has two or three crafts, and you can't throw them away. That would be like bad parenting, you know. Oh, great picture. You know, that just wouldn't work, you know. And so you have to save those crafts and all those little toys, and then kids' toys are like, you know, they're huge, and they take up room, and, and so we looked at our house, and we we're like, man, this place is just like exploding. There's no room for, to sit because we have stuff everywhere, so Stacy like collects all this stuff, puts it out on the front porch, uh, calls charity. They're supposed to come get it in time for Christmas. They don't show up, so our house looks like Sanford and Son at Christmas. It's wonderful, you know, but we're trying to declutter all of our house, and then at the same time, they have Christmas with us, grandparent number one, grandparent number two, then they get Christmas gifts from school, and so they bring more stuff into the house, and I'm like, great, we just spent all this time getting rid of stuff, and now we've got to do it all over again, and, and so the, it's just always this battle of trying to manage the stuff that's coming into our house, coming into our lives. It's not bad stuff. Their crafts are cool, okay? Don't, don't get mad at me, teachers. You know, they're cool, but they just take up room. Well, the same thing happens in our lives. So many people wanting from something from you, so many texts you have to return, so many people messaging you on Facebook, so many things to post, so many things at work, so many things, so many Little League games to go to, so many upward basketball games to go to, so much stuff, 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 that sometimes we don't have opportunity to live. And so my prayer for you is that God will give you the wisdom to know how to eliminate distractions, to know where you need to simplify your life so that you can focus 
and spend time on what's really important. Especially those of us that have kids in our house right now. They're going to grow up fast. And whenever they leave your house and go off into the world to live their life, I know you'll celebrate. But what are they going to take with them? You don't have long. Make sure you take advantage of this time and be focused to build in them the things that really matter. Well, then there's the fertile soil. The fertile soil receives the truth of God and then takes steps of faith. The fertile soil receives the truth of God, refuses to remain the same. The fertile soil receives the truth of God and then takes it to others. Receives the truth of God and it anchors them through adversity. Receives the truth of God and boredom is replaced with purpose. Venomous words are replaced with edifying words. Hard-heartedness is replaced with love. Cold, sterile religion where you just go through the motions, loses its appeal because you have something more. God's Word has taken root in your heart. And so my prayer for you today is that you will open your heart to hear the Word of God. I believe that He desires for you to be growing spiritually. I believe that this year can be an incredible year in your life where you grow to be more like Christ. How many of you like country music? Do you know that country music's playing in the room right now? How many of you like classical music? 11 o'clock's a little low on that scale. I'm glad you're there, Billy. How many of you like Christian music? You've got to answer that when you're in church. You know, uh, Sorry, Paul, I don't like you. How many of you like pop? Yeah, you're really like barely raising your hand. Uh, hopefully you don't like any boy bands or rap, you know. There will not be boy bands or rap in heaven. <laughs> it's not in the Bible, I just made that up, but anyway. Uh, you don't hear those waves because you don't have the radio on right now. Now I know there's some scientific mind in here that will say, Lash, you're getting this illustration wrong, but just go with me on it, okay? You have to have that radio to tune in to those waves correctly. Whenever you have the radio, then you can hear the music. Well, the same thing's true with God. He is always at work. He's always desiring to grow you spiritually. He's always doing, thing in the com- doing things in the community, doing things in the lives of your kids, doing things in the world around us. But often we don't hear it because spiritually our heart is not in tune. And we need the Holy Spirit to stop us long enough and focus us, focus us on. Focus us enough to tune in to what God is doing. Because when you begin to tune in to the Word of God in your life, you'll discover you grow. You'll discover that your life has purpose and meaning. You'll discover that your life has energy. And that your life can be a part of something more than just you. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we bow our heads and we come to a time of commitment. The band's going to come and lead us in in a song. If you desire to pray during this time, then pray, sing. You may want to pray with someone. I'm here at the front. If there's anything that I may pray with you about, 
it's always my joy to do so. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what we've seen from your word today. Pray that it may not just land in our head, but may it migrate to our heart and then ultimately to our lives so that we live it out. Father, I think about the people that are in this room today, and I realize that wherever they go, you go. So when they put on that uniform, when they go into that classroom, go into that office, meet with that client, see that patient, whatever the circumstances might be, there are opportunities right in front of them to be like Christ. I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to focus, to tear down walls, to open our heart so that we might hear from you. May you give us wisdom to know how to follow you and how to live for you. And may you grant us opportunity to have our lives connected to your story so that our story can be a part of what you're doing here on earth. Help us, Lord, not to get captivated by those things which don't last, but help us, Father, to enjoy the blessings, but realize what is truly meaningful and what will last forever. It's in Jesus' name we pray and worship. Amen.